Hello, this is David Spray of the IC Disc Show, and today I had a guest that was very special for me. Uh, his name is Corey Jackson. He's the president of CT Gasket, a company in Houston, Texas here that makes uh, high-end mission-critical uh, gaskets and seals. And uh, he's also the, the very first uh, current client we've had on the show, and so he provides some uh uh, some thoughts on, uh, on, uh, working with us. And, uh, but he's, it's a third generation business. Corey is a, uh, is a tremendous entrepreneur and, uh, we've worked with him for about 15 years and have seen firsthand his, uh, incredible success. So it's a wide ranging interview. And, uh, uh, even if you're not in the manufacturing business, I think there's a lot, uh, that, uh, Corey's lessons he's learned that could be beneficial uh, for your business. So I hope you really enjoy listening to this podcast. Good morning, Corey. Good morning, Dave. So how are you doing today? Oh, it's great. Uh, just sitting here at my desk looking outside. It's kind of a little bit of a cloudy morning, a little bit of rain and a front move through. So that's nice here in Houston. <laughs> that uh, That is well, um, let's go ahead and, and uh, get started. Uh, so today, my guest is Corey Jackson, the president of CTG in Houston, Texas. And CTG is a manufacturer of premium seals and gaskets. Corey was also one of my very first clients uh, when I uh, entered the tax consulting business about 15 years ago. He was introduced to us by their CPA firm, and uh, it's really been fun watching the growth of the business under Corey's stewardship, and um, and I, I value our business relationship and really appreciate our friendship, too. So I, I can't tell you how grateful I am that you made time to, to, to be my very first uh, client on the IC Disc Show. Wow, what an honor. Thank you so much for having me this morning, Dave. And likewise, uh, I, I very much appreciate uh, your input through the years. And uh, your team there has, has helped us make some very good decisions for our business with regards to uh, starting off with the R&D tax credits and then on to the, the IC disc. And, you know, I didn't know anything about that at all. And, uh, you know, you've just made it real easy and very impactful for our business. And I uh, can't say a enough great things about you and, and you've always been a great sounding board for me. And I tell people all the time, you ended up being one of my best, very best unpaid salesmen, you know, you with your other clients, uh, it's been a very good business opportunity for me as well too. So, uh, you know, you've just done a great job and, and I, I thank you very much for having me this morning and thank you for being such a great mentor through the years. Uh, well, Corey, that geez, you're going to make me blush. That's, uh, that's <laughs> very, that's very nice. Very kind of you. Well, uh, well, let's get into the to the heart of things. So, um, so, so let's uh, talk about CT Gasket. Uh, why don't you start from the beginning, kind of give the you know the history and at what point you became involved? Because uh, you're the third generation in the business, I believe. Is that right? Yes, sir. Three generations, and uh, you know it's very difficult to transition any business uh, through one generation, much less multiple generations. So it's been a it's been a been a fun ride, and I've uh, been uh, very thankful for having a great staff and team, and and two great uh, generations before me that uh, you know sort of laid the the groundwork and platform for for me to be able to uh, you know take the business forward. And so um, you know. Definitely is uh, not something that I did on my own. Had a lot of help and 
very thankful for uh, for those that uh, you know kind of surrounded and and helped me out through my career. You know, I hope I can give back in some way, you know, in the in the future as well too. But uh, yeah, so kind of starting out, uh, you know, you kind of have to go back to in 1940s in the gasket business. My my grandfather uh, was uh, working for a company here in Houston, and he worked uh, there for a number of years and through the 60s and. Uh, I was actually part of another gasket company in the 60s, and then uh, and then through the 80s, he sold out of that business, and uh, he and my dad started this business in 1984. So uh, CTG, uh, as it exists now, has been in business for uh, 35 years, and uh, I was about seven years old when they started that, <laughs> and so uh, you know my knowledge of the business. You know, going up through the years, uh, you know, was really mostly uh, about when I could get to a point where I could help out. It was, hey, we need you to come up here and, you know, work in the business. And, uh, you know, they started out back in 1984. If, if For those that have been in the oil and gas business long enough and really lived in Houston since then, that wasn't a very good time to start a business. Uh, the old oil and gas business and the savings and loan business had crippled the economy down here and so I guess when you're starting out you know any any anything that you get from zero is you know positive growth so I guess that that is one good thing but it was a difficult time to, to start a business and started out with just um, one clicker press in Central Texas that's what the CT stands for and uh, through the years just uh, with my, my grandfather and my father having been in the business already for a little while uh, just in the gasket business in general uh, you know cobbled together some accounts and kind of scraped just to uh, you know make the business run and it's very difficult to get any business to to get off and start going but that time was very difficult but they were able to do that and had some good good customers in fact the very first product that we took a, an order for the exact piece and customer we still have to this day you know 35 years later that kind of gives you an idea of really? the, the loyalty with our customers that exact wow. hard yes and so uh you know that just kind of gives you an idea of, you know we've been at this for for a long time and uh you know, kind of gives you an idea of the quality and products that we manufacture now what we were doing back then, um, you know, has changed a lot um, the way that I got involved in the business. And I think I have to preface the detail of that by starting off uh, saying that I didn't have any interest in getting in the business at all. In fact, when I was a teenager, I can remember thinking, who'd want to get in the gasket business? You know, you just, uh, I just, that doesn't seem enticing at all. And uh, so nothing sexy I, I about worked. it to you. Nothing sexy about it to you, huh? No, not at all. And so, <laughs> uh, in fact, it was more like uh, you know, I felt like it was kind of punishment in a way. It's like I had to work. You know, any time that I, you know, wanted wanted something, hey, go 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 out in the shop and you know work for it. And and what what that was doing was building in a work ethic. And I probably didn't appreciate that as much back then. And we never do when we start out young like that. So. Sure. Sure. But uh, so I, I graduated, uh, you know, in the Cypress area here in Houston, grew up in the Houston area. And um, at that time, it was in the mid 90s. And um, we, uh, my grandfather and father had moved the business from Central Texas back to Houston. And uh, we were at that time about 15 employees. And as I was graduating from high school, again, I had no interest in the business, so I actually went and worked for uh, the restaurant business, worked for uh, a restaurant chain here in Houston, well-known one. And 
worked uh, worked up through the ranks while I was going to college. I went to the University of Houston because my future wife decided that's where she wanted to go. We met when I was a senior in high school. And so um, uh, we uh, we both went to the University of Houston. And so I was working on my degree while I was working in the restaurant business. I thought I was going to do that long term. And, um, you know, as, as uh, thinking about marriage and those types of things would have it, uh, I was also getting a degree in hotel and restaurant management. I decided that uh, that probably wasn't going to be my career path, and I changed my degree to uh, information systems technology. And, uh, and that's uh, what I decided I was going to do was, uh, you know, go go into the IT business. And so about 1997, 1998 came, uh, came along, and um, I uh, was making that transition out of the uh, restaurant business, and so I started working at CTG uh, to just kind of make ends meet, have another job, and sort of go through a transition process. It wasn't a long-term play for me, and what I was doing then was working in the machine shop. We, uh, again, had about 15 people and uh, two or three uh, manual machines, uh, lathes, and I was working by hand. Uh, Manufacturing Teflon, which uh, we still manufacture to this day, I was machining parts, and you would set these parts up by hand. It was a laborious, laborious process, and um, I just remember thinking, sitting there doing this, going, "There has got to be an automated way to do this." <laughs> sure. And, and uh, in of course, I was uh, you know in the midst of switching my degree to information systems technology, and so. I kind of did that part-time for a couple of years as I finished my degree. And when I got to the end of my degree, I graduated in 1999. That was just about in time for the dot-com bust. You know, you had the Y2K and shortly thereafter that <laughs> that market right. kind of melted away. So what started out as a temporary <laughs> endeavor in the business ended up uh, being a little bit more permanent, uh, especially considering the fact that I got married in uh, 1999. So <laughs> I needed to, uh, you know, have something as permanent as possible. So. Um, sure, so the, the, <laughs> the first thing I started doing was uh, was really looking at ways we could automate the business. And uh, so I looked at uh, CNC Technologies, um, which is a, an automated way to do the manual manufacturing process that I was doing before. And, um, you know, that was a big leap for us at the time. Uh, you know, to buy one of those machines was about $100,000. and. Um, you know, when I went to uh, my dad and said, "Hey, I think we, I think we should should buy one of these," you know, I might as well have been asking for you know a million dollars or something. It was a, it was a big investment, and uh, you know, he had the courage to do that and put uh, put his you know faith and trust that we could, you know, make that work. And so we brought that in, and and sure enough, you know, that particular those items I was working on, and you know, our our team was working on. It took, oh, you know, say three hours to do one part. You could you could do that part you know, in 30 minutes. I mean, so it was just, it was a huge savings for for labor. And that would be very significant in the evolution of CTG at that time, because uh, there was a, there was a trend that was just budding, you know, there in the late nineties um, and then on into the early two thousands where um, you had this offshoring going on where products that were manufactured for years, commodities here in the United States, began to be manufactured in all kinds of regions. Um, you know, China was ended up being kind of one of the big ones that absorbed a lot of that offshoring. And, you know, for a business like ours at the time, that was a that was a big deal because products that we were 
you know, manufacturing that did take us a long time. We're being sped up by technology, but we also were competing against, uh, you know, these other regions that had not typically had that kind of manufacturing capability. So, um, and, and I didn't know all of that was going on at the time. I was sort of just, you know, kind of surviving, if you will. And, uh, but that technology was a big, big part of CTG evolving into the, you know, sort of the next step and kind of where we are today. And so, uh, about that time, um, you know, my grandfather was ready to transition out of the business. And as I uh, started working my way through the organization and, um, you know, just sort of automated all of the different uh, manufacturing processes that we were working on, uh, just tried to take any manual operation and, and uh, automate it to the degree that we could. A lot of the processes that we do here are still, you know, manual uh, and, and laborious, but there were a number of things that we could automate, and so we did that. And I mean, you know, we had dot matrix printers back then, and you know, the ledgers were all handwritten. Purchase orders were sure. handwritten. I mean, those that, that was the era uh, that I started in with the business, and so those were real easy, low-hanging fruit for me, you know, because I was a technology guy, and so um, you know, started just kind of working to automate that as well too. So you had this offshoring thing that's going on in the background, and um, hey, Corey, at, can I yeah can I just interject with two questions? Sure, and just go. clarify two things. One is CNC. I believe that's an acronym. Do you know what that stands for? As far as a CNC yeah, machine, com computer numeric controlled. Yes, sorry, I should have clarified oh, okay. that. Yeah, no problem. And then the other question was: you mentioned that machine costs a hundred thousand dollars. Is a for context, what would the equivalent like manual type machine have cost back then? Oh, uh, you could have found uh, Claus and Colchester manual lathe, which I was running. That's just a brand. You could probably find one for four or five thousand dollars to to give you an idea oh, of the wow. difference in cost. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that really does. Yeah, that 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 does. Okay, well, thank you for letting me uh, sidebar to clarify that. No, no, that's great. No problem. All right, so please continue. This is a great story. I, I enjoy hearing it. <laughs> so we uh, so we sort of have that uh, offshoring uh, thing going on in the background, and as I'm as I'm you know making my way through the through the organization, I'm getting involved in sales and seeing the different products that that uh, CTG you know, is capable of selling. And, and you know, I, I wish I could say there was some brilliant marketing strategy that, uh, that we deployed that, that worked perfectly. Um, but, you know, and I tell people all the time, especially entrepreneurs, you know, so much of, of growing a business, especially on the sales side, is just grassroots, making calls, uh, doing a great job for your customers, uh, getting referrals. That's still a big part of our business, even today. And um, that's really what we did as a team is just sat down and, and really just from a grassroots marketing standpoint, uh, got on the phone and started making contacts, um, you know, uh, working with people like Dave Spray is a perfect example as, as I started evolving in the business, you know, um, and, you know, if you surround yourself with good people, then good things are going to happen both in your organization and outside of your organization. So if you do those two things, uh, that helps a whole lot your organization. It just breeds this culture of success. It's just a grassroots, um, you know, get on the phone and, and make things happen or, or you know, make face-to-face -face meetings, uh, you know, if you can. And um, so that was sort of the first step. And then as we started to grow, you know, we did find that we were – it was getting kind of difficult to uh, compete with some of the commodities that we'd been manufacturing before. 
So what that, uh, and, and again, this wasn't necessarily a, a, a plan that we had, but what that ended up doing was it kind of pushed us into the niche of the products that we excel in even to this day. And what that is, is being able to take dissimilar materials and put them together. That's kind of the secret sauce, if you will, that uh, makes us unique from, from our competition. There's lots of people that do certain manufacturing processes that we that we have, but there's not that many that put it together like we can. And so uh, that we just uh, worked real hard to grow that niche um, and uh, target our customers who were needing products that had multiple materials put together and made that our focus. And uh, that worked out quite well for us. To give you an idea now, um, we've had as many as 100 people in our business. We're at about uh, 75, 80 right now. And, uh, you know, when I started out, it was 15. So that gives you an idea that the, the size and growth were under uh, about 60,000 square feet now under roof and started with about 10,000 or so. So um, we've had a lot of growth through the years and that's that's been where that growth has come from. And so that took us out of that offshoring um mode where the competitors sure. could come in and, and easily steal that business. They could not get to that business quite as easily. And so um, and so even to this day, that's where, kind of one of our uh, specialties is we can manufacture items that are um, high-end that are uh, designed to be used in high pressures and chemical resistance, and we can do them very quickly and efficiently for our customers, especially when they're doing R&D, new product development. And as those new products are successful, then we're able to reap the rewards on the back end as uh, as they kind of move through the supply chains and and, uh, mm -hmm. and then they get used on a recurring basis. And, and yeah, so, so the consumable is part of our business is still a big part of our business even to this day. So can you give me an, so thank you for that. Can you give me an example of some dissimilar products? Um, you know, like what types of commodities or, or materials are you uh, putting together? Sure. So probably the, the one that's most recognizable for people, if you think about a valve uh, where you're controlling fluids in a pipeline, we'll manufacture a, a seal that will have a metal component that is seated inside of the valve and also a rubber component that will actually do the sealing. The metal provides the stability and backup, the rubber provides the ceiling and okay and so and and that can be a combination then of a plastic and a metal a metal uh and say a just traditional gasket material so we can do lots of combinations of all of the the metallics the floor polymers the plastics and um and we can convert those into any shape and size and we go up to very large sizes now up to 60 inches in diameter to give you an idea oh wow um, some of these seals get yeah they get quite large and um one seal might weigh uh two three hundred pounds you know to give you an oh idea. really wow and so um but again it's all centered around putting those different materials together in a way that the customers can solve harsh uh, problems, you know, in their business. And, uh, and so, and we can do that quickly and, and efficiently. We also do our own metal machining. 
so we can manufacture our own molds in-house. That gives us another competitive advantage as well, too, so that if a customer does have a new product that they're after that they want us to combine, say, a metal and a plastic, um, we can put all of that together in-house, and we don't have to worry about uh, inter interfacing with a third party. So uh, that's kind of one of the things that, that helps us out as well, too. And um, But it's all, again, it's all about uh, exploiting that niche where we've got uh, being able to uh, put those dissimilar materials together in a, in, in a quick way. So as I, as I understand it, you, the decision was made that rather than trying to be the low cost provider of, of just a pure commodity product that you knew you could never win that game against, you know, outsourced, uh, low cost competitors. So you decided to focus on niches that you had a competitive advantage in that were not commodity like that were you know mission critical uh that that people would be willing to pay a premium for your capabilities is that does that about summarize it that that is a perfect summary good that that's ex that's exactly right and and so you know the markets that we serve it, it's quite highly varied in the oil and gas space and that's another key component is, you know, we're not just selling to, for instance, the oil field service suppliers. We do, and that's kind of the upstream part of our business. But we also sell to the midstream, the pipeline distribution companies, and then also the downstream, the chemical plants and the refineries. So we've got a number of different um, companies across the supply chain in the oil and gas business that helps us offset those times where, you know, the drillers may not have a whole lot going on, Well, the downstream part of our business usually will pick up during those times. Um, not always, but but most of the time, and then vice versa. And then, of course, you've got the distribution of fluids, uh, the, the midstream business. Um, you know, those customers are, are always busy doing repairs, and so those are um, – and that's how um, – Dave, you and I, I think, originally got uh, working together was uh, was was through, uh, I think, Briggs & Soka had originally kind of um, recommended you to us. And then also uh, one of the one of our customers you were helping as well, too. And that was a pipeline customer where we were mm -hmm. manufacturing seals to uh, to help them do the pipeline repairs. So you can you can sort of sort of get the vision there that, you know, we've got these dissimilar products. We've got our specialties, got our niche. And then um, you combine that with being uh, very diversified in, you know, in the industry that we serve. It just gives you a good platform to be able to grow the business. And so that's, that's, how, mm -hmm. that's how we've done that. Um, and and you, so, uh, oh, I was going to just ask, and I believe you've also through the years have diversified to some extent from the oil and gas business. Is that correct? That's our, that's our key initiative right now and in, in our future, uh, future growth model. Um, you know, really looks like when there may be some acquisitions. We had our first acquisition a couple of years ago, but we're looking for those opportunities as well that are uh, maybe not necessarily the mainstream oil and gas business. But we, we've we've had all through the years a part of our business, about 10% or so, that uh, is a, a combination of semiconductor business where uh, computer chips are manufactured. There's a number of elastomeric and plastic products that used in that business, and so uh, we, we've uh, started to exploit uh, some of those opportunities as well too, and then also uh, general and industrial applications. Um, you know, there's a lot of 
electrical applications that need um, you know injection molded plastic materials, which we do now in house as well. And so those are where our growth opportunities are moving forward. Um, and then we'll like ask businesses here to stay. And I think we will continue to grow that organically. Um, but uh, but I think through uh, the mode of, uh, of acquisitions and also um, uh, exploiting some of those other um, industries outside of the oil and gas, like the semiconductor market, I think that's where our, our growth is going to be, you know, as we move move forward. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's that is helpful. So what are some of the biggest challenges you've had? Oh, by the way, and so when did you. Um, so I believe you said that your grandfather uh, exited the business in 1999. Is that correct? Yeah, it was the early uh, 2000s, and then um, you know my, uh, my my so my father and I uh, bought him out of the business then, and then uh, I bought my uh, father out of the business in uh, 2012. It kind of gives you the timeline there, and, okay. and he's. He still, you know, comes in and helps and works on projects, and he enjoys doing that, and and you know, still still loves loves to come in and and be part of the team, and he's very helpful, and I'm very thankful for him. So, um, okay. so yeah, that's uh, that kind of gives you the timeline of transferring the business between the the two generations, and that is a that's a challenge, and um, uh, it, you know, it wasn't wasn't easy to do. You know, that's the thing about small businesses is it's not like there's um, you know, even when they, they grow and are successful, there's not typically, uh, it's not like a big business that can go out and just, you know, um, raise funds very easily to transition a generation from one to the next. So um, you have to be, be able to, to work together uh, as you pass those generations. For, number one, the, the preceding generation has to be willing to let go. That's the, sure. that's the key number one. Uh, yeah, I, I heard it said once that, you know, it's very romantic to uh, think about uh, riding off into the sunset, you know, on your horse and dying on your horse, you know, as you ride off into the sunset, but it's really hard on the horse, you know, and so that's, <laughs> you got to be willing to, to, to let go. And so that's, uh, and I've been very fortunate to have uh, both, both the generations before, um, want to see the business go to the next generation and be successful. And that is so key no matter what generation look at. And so in order to make that happen, there's, uh, it goes without saying that there will be sacrifices, you know, that will have to be made for both generations. And mm-hmm. um, we were able to structure it in a way that uh, we were able to move the next generation um you know, through, you know, basically some self-funding. It was kind of a combination of self-funding and then a payout over time through salary. And so, I mean, there's ways that you can, you can do it. And Briggs and Maselka was very helpful in, in, in doing that and helped structuring the deal. That's our accountant. So, and that's another key too, is having good consultants uh, that can help you uh, navigate uh, through, through that process. So, uh, so that was probably the biggest challenge in my career uh, was actually going through those two generations. And that's why, most businesses don't succeed into the multiple generations because number one, you have to you have to have the new generation being willing to take on the business, and mm-hmm. the preceding generation being willing to let go. That is just two monumental things that are very difficult to happen anyway, regardless of whether you make the transaction happen in a way that the business can afford it. And mm-hmm. uh, you know, thankfully, I was in a in a position to be able to do that and. Uh, sort of lay the groundwork to be able to, to go in and, and, and be successful. And again, it's not, it's not me. It's definitely a, a, a team. And that's 
been the other critical thing to our success is putting together a management team. Uh, without uh, my management team, you know, being as strong as they are now, we would not be able to, you know, to do half of what we do. And so that's also the, you know, the thing that I, if I can relay that to others, you know, uh, if you're transitioning generations, um, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, you, you run the business as a meritocracy and the new generation has the capability. The older generation needs to be willing to let go. If you get past the, that hump, uh, then you need to surround yourself with uh, a good management team, and then you need to have good third-party um, people outside of your business, uh, like Dave Spray and and your accountant. And those need to be solid as well, too. If you do that, you'll at least give yourself the best chance because business is difficult no matter what. So those would th- I'd say the biggest challenges. The secondary um, was probably the the offshoring, you know, early in my career, you know, because we had to transition the business into doing these more difficult and complicated items. And so you've got two things. Number one, you have to be able to uh, develop the manufacturing processes to do that. And we did that. And then number two, uh, really the more difficult thing is the marketing part of that, you know, how do you exploit your customers? How do you get the visibility? And again, that was a grassroots campaign looking back on it. Um, and, and even to this day, we track very closely, you know, their CRM, how, you know, our new customers are coming to us. And it's still majority of word of mouth people that have heard about us or left and gone on to new organizations. And that still drives our business even to this day. So very, very important, critical piece of business, especially for small businesses as they're growing into bigger businesses. And so sure. um, the, the offshoring part was the, you know, was the, was the difficult thing. And, and that's where, you know, you really came in and helped us a lot with the, say the R and D tax credit, because, um, you know, to, to, and people in business know this kind of intrinsically, it's not, it's not getting more friendly to run a business. It's getting less friendly. It's getting more difficult. Uh, you know, the tax burden until here recently, it was kind of sort of this just escalating thing the burden that a company has to take on, on the environmental burdens. And, and some of these things are good things, but they do make it more difficult to run the business and to be profitable. You couple that with um, other countries that have a little bit different viewpoint on how to support businesses through subsidies. And, um, you know, you've got things like dumping, for example, companies that have a lot of surplus in one or uh, countries that have a lot of surplus will come and then just sell those products into and plastics are notorious for that plastics and rubber and steel as well, too. And so uh, you, you can imagine you've got sort of this heavy regulation burden that that, that business owners are having to, to deal with and work within. And you've also got, you know, these sort of new competitors um, in, in the early 2000s as they developed in their other countries that you're competing with. And so uh, you, you sort of had, you kind of felt like you were getting surrounded. So, um, you know, to have the R&D tax credit and the offshore IC disc, those were two ways that helped, you know, especially smaller businesses, um, you know, kind of at least have something working for us, you know, to be able to be more competitive. And, and you know, research and development, uh, you know, we do a lot of that every year, um, you know, but especially when you consider the fact that sometimes we have no idea whether something is going to work. We're just uh, we're just putting the two manufacturing processes together and hoping that that works. And, you know, I think as a society, we all benefit from doing that. And I think that that's a that's a great thing to make available to especially to manufacturers, because manufacturing is important 
to this country. Um, and sure. I would challenge anybody who, who doesn't think that that's the case. It's very important. I know it's not sexy, um, but so much of the products that we rely on today, um, you know, are manufactured from products and processes that, you know, we do even in, in this business. So it's very critically important. And I think the R&D was a big one. The IC disc as well, too. Now you've got this opportunity to, uh, you know, sell product into markets outside of the U.S. And again, that's sort of helping, um, if you know, level the playing field, if you will, you know, for manufacturers here who are having to compete with these other countries. And 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 I think I'm gonna, you know, I need to make sure that this comes across. And I think all of my fellow manufacturers in the industry would feel the same way. None of us are afraid of competition. I mean, we deal with competition every day. Um, there's no issue with that. If somebody is better than me at making a particular product or whatever, well, then that's okay. Um, we'll we'll either get better ourselves or we'll say we're not going to do that and concede. The challenge is when you're you know, almost fighting a whole other country. <laughs> you know, that's right, that's having right. that, that's subsidizing in a way that is really making it difficult for you to even make the product at all. I mean, no matter if you had zero cost. <laughs> and so, and so we're not afraid of competition. We're perfectly good with that. The question is, is how can we run our businesses in a way that's on a level playing field? And so I feel like, uh, you know, at least I'm thankful for, um, you know, our congressmen and women that have looked at this and said, well, maybe there are some ways that we can incentivize businesses. And, uh, you know, if it weren't for people like you, Dave, that are actually out and and trying to inform business owners like myself, you know, we're busy working in the business every day. You know, we're not necessarily saying, hey, what is the next best strategy to help us be, you know, for for yeah. R and D tax credits? We're not we're not we're not we're not thinking that way. We're thinking about, hey, how can we make our next payroll kind of thing and make sure that we're we've got opportunities for our people in the you know, in the future. And so I'm very thankful that uh that there's there's great wise and uh people that have, have that know how to do that and can help you go through that process and take advantage of it and I'm, I know that's a business opportunity for for you as well too but uh, but though that has been a very very significant and if, you, and if a business has not looked at those opportunities then they really need to does it work for everybody no um, you know even within the manufacturing space you know the IC disc uh, the R&D tax credits you know some may work for you and some may not but you really need to look at everything because um, if you can deploy those things, it's going to help you be more competitive, no matter what your no matter what space that you're in. Sure. No that that's uh, that's that's an excellent point. Uh, you've you've talked about some of the challenges of of the business and and uh, and boy, they they seem uh, pretty daunting. Uh, is there anything about the business that that's that you enjoy or, or, or things that are that are uh, uh, or let me rephrase this. What are some of the parts of the business that, that you are more excited about and you find more satisfying and fulfilling? Uh, well, the, the people is number one. I love love my people and love uh, you know our customers. And I think that comes through in our culture here. I mean, I think anybody that does business with us knows that we really do try and make an effort to uh, make things right for our customers and uh, make a, make this a better place for, for everyone involved. And so, um, that's the part that I enjoy the most um, you know, with the employees, with the management team, with, um, you know, with the customers. Um, and, and then the technology is, is still something that I really, um, you know, thrive on. I, I enjoy um, learning and deploying new manufacturing processes. 3D printing comes to mind. 
Um, you've got all kinds of new technologies and materials, nanomaterials that are coming out now. And I think that the, you know, those opportunities got artificial intelligence that's making the robotics become a reality. And so I'm, I'm very excited about how technology is going to continue to, uh, to evolve and, and make manufacturing even. I think sometimes people are a little bit afraid of that, but there's really no need to be because those, um, those manufacturing technologies are, are, are going to be what's, what will make our society advance and, and our uh, economies advance as well, too. And so, um, you know, the risks that business owners are willing to take to deploy those things are only going to benefit society at large. And so I enjoy that. It's the people and the technology are, sure. are sort of the things that kind of keep me going on a, on a daily basis. If I just had to, if I just had to worry about, you know, the, the tax part of the business and, uh, you know, the, it's important. And uh, I'm very thankful that we've, we've done a good job and you've helped us do that. But, uh, but yeah, every day I, I wake up, I'm, I'm very thankful to, uh, to get to work with my team every day and my customers. That's, that is awesome. And I have, uh, I've seen that firsthand uh, through the years, uh, your, uh, your, your passion around uh, your, your uh, coworkers and your customers. Uh, so one of the questions I was going to ask you about was 3D printing. And so my question was going to be 3D printing. Is it a risk or an opportunity or both for your business? It's both. Um, you know, the, the, from my perspective where I stand at the at the moment, I, I think that technology is going to grow and it will become more integral with just your standard everyday manufacturing processes, say a lathe and a mill is sort of that standard now, a CNC lathe and mill like we talked about earlier. I think By 3D the way, printing, hey, Corey, could you just yeah. uh, help explain what 3D printing is for people who aren't familiar with it? Sure. So it's a material additive, um, additive process where you know, instead of um, so so traditionally you would take a, a solid piece of material and you would work it uh, either on a lathe or a mill or some combination of those two uh, and you would whittle it away until you got the final product. In 3D printing, what you're doing is you're actually layering, you're depositing those materials a little bit at a time in uh, four to five axes all at the same time. So if you think about a hollow sphere, well, traditionally in a manufacturing process, the way you would make a hollow sphere is to uh, have two half pieces that you would weld together, right? So you mm -hmm. have two shells, mm -hmm. like a kind of a broken egg, if you will, putting it together. Well, you don't need to do that in a 3D printing process. You can just print the egg, de de deposit those layers a little bit at a time, starting from the very bottom of the egg to the very, very top of the egg, and you've got a hollow egg. So that is probably the best way to describe how okay, 3D thank you. That's is actually done. So it's a risk from the standpoint of there may be products that we're manufacturing now, traditionally, that a competitor could use 3D printing in the future to, uh, to manufacture. Well, we could too. We would have, you know, and we already have uh, 3D printers that we're manufacturing products. Now, the, the challenge is that the speed and the materials that the 3D printers utilize are not quite as good as the traditional manufacturing. And I think they will evolve. Um, how long that takes is a kind of a, a series of debates. You'll hear some people that the materials are already there. It's just expensive. I haven't really seen that to be the case. I just think that technology is going to take a little while to uh, uh, to, to develop and, and that's okay. Uh, and I think it will, it, it'll definitely at some point be, 
um, be economical. But it, but it definitely has to compete with the traditional manufacturing processes, which are, um, you know, when you consider injection molding now, you've got five-axis machining. We've got a lot of really fast ways to produce things traditionally. Uh, so I the 3D see. printing's got a ways, it has a ways to go till it catches up, you know, because those things are advancing with technology as well, too. So it's not like the 3D printing is on an island on its own. Right, right. You know, it's still having to compete with the technology that's being put into your traditional manufacturing processes. So that's um, awesome. I, I, yeah, that's I think awesome. it'll get there. It'll take time. Yeah, yeah, that is awesome. So what I'd like to do now, I can't believe how quickly the time is, is going by. Yeah. I'd like to talk about one or two uh, kind of customer success stories in the last, you know, few years and uh, just really kind of walk us through it. Like, you know, what was the the nature of the client's issue? Um, you know, how were you able to really, you know, kind of save the day for them? So could you just kind of talk through one or two examples like that to give some context? Sure. I think the two that jump out at me the most, um, the first one is our trademark energizer gasket, which is a product that solved uh, a whole host of problems in uh, in the oil and gas industry as it sort of transitioned from some of the traditional metallic materials that were being used for flanges and valves and such to the plastic materials. You can't use the same sealing technology on a plastic product as you can on a metal product. So pipelines, for example, were were made for years and still are to this day out of metallic products, metallic flanges, metallic pipelines. But as, especially on the processing side of things, the chemical plants and refineries started to use more fiberglass, uh, PVC, other plastic materials, the seals that uh, join those components together had to change with it. And our Energizer gasket has, has solved a tremendous amount of problems and issues and the reason that it does that is because uh, we we worked really hard to develop um, a sealing technology that is integrated into the seal. Here we go, diff different materials, right? We've got a plastic material and a rubber material that we bond together, and it's got uh, some uh, seal, some ribbed seals on the outside of the of the seal, so that it reduces the total surface area that is mated together whenever these plastic pieces come together. And what that okay. does. What that does is you can imagine um, a plastic flange or valve has a lot um, less stress capability than a metal metallic one. It just makes sense, right? You can crack sure. and break a piece of plastic so much easier than a metal metallic um, piece of material. And so this gasket reduces the surface area that is required in order to get the seal to set and, and so that the people using the plastic valves and pipelines can then um, bolt those things together with a lot less force and still get a positive seal. And we can put them together with different materials so that they can um, they can use different fluids and temperatures and whatever. So I, th I think the Energizer Gasket is sort of the one product that embodies everything we do. And we sell a lot of those and, and it's been a real success product, uh, real success for us. I'd say probably the second um, thing that's here in recent uh, times has been our a uh, combination of uh, floor elastomers and also uh, Kevlar, and you're probably familiar with the bulletproof material. Sure. And um, and the reason that that has been so successful is because we, we had a specific application where a customer was using 
uh, a product in steam and um, the traditional elastomeric materials that were being used just failed all the time. And so what we did is we developed a, a, a material, it's called Aflas, and also Kevlar, which is uh, the fabric material that we're using. And we developed a technique to be able to bond those two together in a way that whenever they go into these steam applications now, that Kevlar uh, helps hold the seal together while it's in service and so that it doesn't fall apart. And that's what the problem that, that a customer was having in the past. And that's been uh, you know, something we were able to patent and it's uh, been a very great success story for us over the last couple of years. And uh, you know, a unique thing about Kevlar is that uh, it's a little bit different than most all materials uh, known to man. And there's just a, just a handful of materials that behave this way. Water is one of them. But uh, when it gets cold, it actually expands. When it gets hot, it actually shrinks. And hmm. so uh, that was one of the, uh, the unique characteristics that uh, helped the material work the way that we wanted it to in steam. It was actually shrinking a little bit instead of expanding. So it's a pretty neat material, and uh, that we were able to, to put that in our manufacturing process has been a real success story. And uh, now those customers can go in and do those steam um, applications uh, much more reliably now than they were able to do before. And that's been a big win. Okay. That, that is, that is great. Um, uh, another, uh, does, is there another, you know, kind of specific uh, success story you can think of where like a, a customer had some like major issue that you basically were able to, to, you know, solve for them and make them very happy? Well, I think uh, the one that uh, come, comes to mind was, was probably the Macondo where we had the, uh, the oil spill, you know, a few years back. Um, you know, we were actually involved in, in helping manufacture some of the seals that were used uh, to help, um, you know, eventually stop the flow of, uh, of the oil. And some of our customers were, you know, deployed um, to help come up with solutions for that. And so uh, it was really uh, kind of a neat thing to be right in the middle of that and help help uh, manufacture the seals that solved that. That was a pretty big problem <laughs> to be solved. Yeah. Well, and that's and, where uh, rapid turnaround really helped, right? Because you were is, able to iterate quickly. Yes, exactly. And so, um, so yeah, no, those that, those are those are the ones that jump out at, at me. But you know, the, the culture of our business has really been, you know, uh, about solving problems for customers. I mean, that's really where our um, you know niche is. As soon as it becomes a high volume commodity, you still sort of have that. Um, you know, opportunity for other competitors to come in. And so, um, so I, I, you know, on a, on a daily basis, that's, you know, hey, we've got this particular application where we've got to have this combination of chemical resistance and temperature, uh, you know, resistance. Can you help us out? And so, yes, like you mentioned earlier, being able to deploy that quickly is, is kind of where we're, where we shine. Well, you know, there's there's one more uh, customer success story, and this is unique. I've never asked this question where I could provide, I could answer my own question. Oh, yeah. And so I would like to share uh, the, because to me, it was a huge customer success story just for the listeners. You know, Corey was kind enough to mention the, you know, customer I introduced to them. But I think the backstory is kind of interesting. So this client was a pipeline connector manufacturer. Is that mm -hmm. is that? technically what they did or That's what it. they do. And um, I was having lunch with them one day. We had done uh, you know, some work for them. And I said, hey, what's your biggest business challenge? And they said, ah, gaskets. They're the bane of our existence. 
we might have a 50 cent part or a $2 part, you know, meaning a kind of a disposable type gasket, I guess, that'll slow a whole project down for, for, you know, one or two days, you know, a million dollar project and the, and it's costing the, you know, the driller hundreds of thousands of dollars a day and the whole thing's because of one stupid gasket. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's terrible. How do you address that? And they said, well, we have to have a whole gasket inventory. I'm like, wow. And, and I'm like, and they're like, we hate it. It takes up all this space. And no matter how many gaskets we have, we never seem to have the exact one we need at the exact time. And uh, and I said, wow. And, and of course, while I'm, we're talking, their offices were only about, uh, at the time, I think one or two miles from yours. And I just said, hey, I've got a, a client that's in the seal and gasket business. You know, why don't we have lunch and you can, you know, chat and see if they can help you. And they said, sure. So we had lunch. And you know, you you were great at just you know trying to assess the problem, and uh, I don't know what they were thinking you would do, but your solution was just brilliant. You just said, "Why don't we? Why don't you outsource that inventory of those gaskets to us? Yeah. We will." And I believe, and correct me if I don't remember the story correctly, but I believe that you literally you know started inventorying certain disposable gasket sizes that you might not normally have uh, have stocked, right? Just to. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that's you've essentially got the, the story right. I, I mean, it was actually just one step further than that. We, what we did is we just set an agreement with them that, look, just don't worry about that inventory anymore. We'll guarantee that you'll have the, the seals in two days and we'll have our manufacturing inventory set at a place. And that's kind of where you were thinking there with the inventory set to where we can respond that way. And that eliminates the inventory carrying cost on your side. Um, we, oh, we got wow. a little bit, yeah, we so got, you didn't actually carry it. You just developed the capability to just produce whatever they would need within two days. That's right. And so what we oh, did is we were wow. able to charge a little bit of a premium for that. And, you know, they were able to offset that premium with, uh, you know, the carrying cost of the inventory sort of disappearing. And, uh, and so that was a, just a win-win situation for everybody. And that, that's the epitome of, of what we do on a daily basis. So yeah, thanks well, for bringing that up. Oh yeah, no, and it was it was fun to see, and 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 the funniest part of the whole story was uh, was like I think the next time I had lunch with you, uh, you were you were so so grateful. You insisted on buying lunch, and then the next time I had lunch with them, they were so grateful. They insisted on buying lunch. So uh, <laughs> so you uh, it was like it was like both of you looked at the other one as uh, you know as like the the, the hero. You right for you it was a, a new customer. And uh, and for them, you uh, you solved this major uh, pain point for them. So, uh, well, Dave, uh, there you go. There's your other business. You've got to you're just putting <laughs> people together right there. So, sure, sure. Well, uh, and of course, it was easy to do since I knew you'd you'd take good care of them. And you know, sure. anytime you refer a client to somebody, you're you're very uh, yeah you know cautious ab- about that. So, okay. um, I have one more question for you, sure. and then we can wrap up. What advice? would you have for your younger self from say 10 or 20 years ago? What would you, what do you wish you had known then about the business uh, or life that like you wish you'd knew them? You know, what advice would you, would you give to your younger self? Well, um, in, in it's one that people hear a lot. And until you go through it, you know, I, I still don't even know that the advice 
that I would be giving my younger self would would really stick. But you know, don't let fear be a motivator for you. You know, I mean, that's I so many risks that um, you know I've been willing to to take. It kept me up at night, and um, you know, really looking back on it, that that really didn't need to be the case. You know, you you want to you want to be wise, and you want to get surround your people, surround yourself with people that have been there, done that, and have a good success track record, bounce it off of them, you know, get their advice, surround yourself with people. And, and, and I did do that and let that be enough, uh, you know, because, the, you know, a lot of the things that you worry about, what I have found to be kind of a truth is typically kind of the things you're, you're worried about are not the things that end up, end up being an issue, you know. And so just be willing to still take those risks. Um, you know, and, and that's even a challenge for you as you go through your career. And even where I'm at now, you sort of become a little bit more risk averse the older you get and the more you establish yourself. And I don't really ever want to be that way because it's really that, that willingness to take risk um, is what drives our economy and what drives, uh, you know, our society. And so I would tell my younger self, uh, you know, don't don't be afraid. And, and, and that goes all the way from hiring. Right. Um, you know, mm-hmm. don't be afraid to go out and hire to hire that A player, and and you know, be because if you if you have an A player, take care of them and and let them go out and perform. Same thing with customers. Um, you know, don't be afraid of that customer you think that's just out of reach. Um, you know, don't let fear drive you on that. Go out and go do that, and uh, surround yourself with people that have have been there and done that, and and, and are good good sources of information like Dave Spray and. Um, you know, there's a number of number of people out there that can do that, and uh, I would tell myself, uh, just go go out there and do that, and be confident in that, and um, you know, don't, don't let worry you know drive you drive too much of your decision making, and that's that's just a tough thing to go through no matter what in your career. But looking back on it, that definitely there's probably a few things I didn't do that looking back on it, I think, wow, oh, you know, I probably should have done that, where I probably would have been fine. And other things that I've done that I thought you know, hey, we're going to be super, super success stories. Well, you know, maybe they they worked out, you know, marginally, but they could have been done in some other way. So, you know, you just try to work within the framework that you have as best of your ability and just let it ride. It'll be fine. Yeah. You know, you make me think of, I think it was a quote by Mark Twain. And he said, uh, I am an old man and I've known a great many troubles most of which never happened. And I think that's uh, kind of summarizes it that you know, we, we, uh, we spend all this energy worrying about stuff that ends up not even being an issue. So um, with that, um, so uh, if people want to reach out to you, uh, you know, you know, say uh, just an entrepreneur who, uh, you know, would love to pick the brain of another entrepreneur or somebody who would be a potential customer of yours, uh, what would be the best way for them to, to reach out to you? Uh, probably my email address is uh, the number one. Is, uh, so it's Jackson underscore Corey, C-O-R-Y, at ctgasket.com. And uh, that's probably the very best way. And you can visit our website as well, too, the contact information, which is www.ctgasket.com. That is awesome. Well, is there anything else you want to add before we uh, we wrap this up? No, Dave, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to have a conversation with me. And uh, as, as always, it's a, it's a pleasure. And thanks again for all of the, the great advice through the years. It's been uh, very helpful. And I appreciate it. Well, the, it's, it's, it's mutual. Thanks for, thanks for being such a great, uh, a great client to work with. Well, you have a great day, and uh, I will catch up with you another time. Okay. You too, Dave. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. There we have it. Another great episode. Thanks for listening in. 
If you want to continue the conversation, go to icdiscshow.com. That's ic-disc-show.com. And we have additional information on the podcast, archived episodes, as well as a button to be a guest. So if you'd like to be a guest, go select that and fill out the information. And we'd love to have you on the show. So that's it. We'll be back next time with another episode of the IC Disc Show.